0: Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over twenty four thousand episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature Podcast. At first glance, St. Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the faithful are not to associate with immoral people seems to imply that the church should safeguard its purity by avoiding people outside the community. No interpretation of 1 Corinthians could be further from the truth. On the contrary, when Paul speaks of immoral people in chapter 5, he is referring to people within the church. To borrow a line from Mark's gospel, there is nothing outside a man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Richard and I continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians. You're listening to The Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, And this
0: is Dr. Richard Benton. And you
1: are listening to episode 106 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Today we move forward with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Before we jump in, I think it's worth saying a little bit more about how judgment works in Scripture and why patriarchy or matriarchy are so essential. I think it's important for our listeners
0: to hear this. Paul is not talking about gender. He is talking about authority. A true humble leader takes the group and focuses their energy in the correct direction. Absolutely. And they have to do that by imposition at times. When you try to suppress
1: patriarchy on the basis of ideology, or you try to suppress matriarchy, it's not because there's a correct ideological understanding of male power or female power. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is your abuse of others. Because when you suppress a patriarch or a matriarch, you may believe because of your social ideology that you are fighting against the man and working toward justice. But what you are doing is setting the stage for you or someone who comes after you to be a tyrant and to abuse others. And even in your own attack on patriarchy, you yourself have become the abuser that you claim to be opposing. What's interesting about the way Paul deals with authority is that he presents a scenario in which authority is top down. Paul cannot judge himself. He cannot judge God. He cannot judge his peer group. But he can judge you because you are a disciple. That is the key in 1 Corinthians. And as a disciple, you can't judge your peer group. So don't tell me how could Paul say you're not allowed to judge and then in chapter 5, Father Mark, he judges.
0: Because you're missing the point. Using the authority and judgment is functional. As we've been saying all along, the health and unity of the community is forefront. Therefore, Paul is required to judge, required to exercise authority, if that is what unity of the community requires.
1: Paul is taking a stance as the pater, And if you are a feminist, you can hear me say mater, it doesn't matter. But if you tell me that patriarchy is the problem or matriarchy is the problem,
0: I disagree. It's how it functions to keep the community together. Whereas Paul can say that according to the gospel, Peter is teaching incorrectly, Paul is not able to say whether Peter is in or out. So even though Paul opposes Peter to his face... He does not cast him out. You are no longer an apostle. You are no longer one of God's servants.
1: Because God did not give Paul authority over Peter.
0: Correct. Everyone has their role. Paul is not only allowed, but is required to judge the Corinthians. Paul can say, Peter, what you're teaching is incorrect and correct him to his face. But he is not allowed to allow Peter in or out. Paul tells the members of the community, if you see someone acting incorrectly, you need to tell them as your peer. So Correcting somebody and judging somebody are different actions. But Paul here in Corinthians is required to judge the Corinthians. He has to. That is his calling. It is actually reported that there is immorality
1: among you, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have
0: not mourned instead
1: so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your
0: midst. Immorality is a danger to the community. This is what Paul is subtly claiming here because he's been focusing on the unity of the community. Now you have someone who's committing such an act of immorality that it could lead the community astray. But you can't think
1: about it in terms of sexuality per se because when you deal with issues of fidelity in Scripture you are ultimately dealing with fidelity toward God's teaching. This is the function of the body politic of the gospel. It is to be the bride of God, the obedient bride of God. Now, you might say, Father Mark, you're just reading into it, but that's because you haven't read the rest of 1 Corinthians, because the whole discussion later on is about fidelity to the body politic of Jesus, because the ones who are becoming the abusers in the Corinthian church are using the gospel as an excuse to justify their social gain by hobnobbing with the elite in Roman society and communing with them during their pagan rituals. But Paul's argument, as we'll see later, is that by communing at these pagan rituals, they're dividing the body of Christ because although it's just a ritual and it doesn't mean anything, you are walking away from the simple teen, which is where they would gather for their kinonia, you are walking away with the false teaching in your mouth by consuming their offering.
0: And here there's a special kind of immorality happening in this particular situation because, like you were saying, whether you want to say pater or mater, it doesn't matter. In the household, when dad's not around, who's in charge? Mom's around. Read the
1: cat and the hat to your children.
0: Until they're old enough to read Genesis. Just read the cat in the hat. When mom comes... You're done. You're done. That's the epiphany. That's how it all functions. So here, this is a problem because when a man marries his father's wife, he's messing with the hierarchy. As a son, you're under your father's wife. It can be your biological mother, maybe not. Either way... They are functioning as mater. As a son, you are not allowed to jump to the next rung and say, oh, now I'm the husband of my mother, then you're the father. But just like you can't be your own grandpa, you can't be your own father. It's a lack of order. That's the key. This is why it's not even found among the Gentiles, because the Gentiles understand basic authority. It's like Jesus in the centurion. When I tell one of my servants to do something, he just does it. I understand authority. I might not know the gospel per se. I didn't read it, but... I know that if you tell one of my servants to do something, he's going to do it. It's so
1: insidious that Christians hear all these stories and all these writings and come away with the opposite teaching. It's insidious. We were talking earlier, how is it that people read 1 Corinthians and don't see this? It's because, as Paul says elsewhere, they read scripture with blinders on. If you come to scripture looking to find neoliberalism, that is what you will find. If you come to scripture looking to find conservatism, that's what you'll find. If you come to scripture and when you don't understand something, instead of trying to make it fit, go back and try to understand the historical context and challenge yourself with what other scholars have wrote and study the languages and study the history. It doesn't mean that you'll be right, but it means that you'll at least be making an effort to submit your mind to what the writer is saying. Don't worry about agreeing or disagreeing. Don't worry about how it fits or doesn't fit. Just submit your mind to what he's saying because the first time I came across these ideas as a student of the Bible, it wasn't to me an obvious thing or something that was easy to accept because we are programmed and it is driven into us that there's a problem with authority and we are shamed and made to feel stupid for even thinking that authority is necessary or relevant. I mean, many people believe authority is wrong. So to actually see that Paul is taking the very thing that we despise and making it the center point of his teaching, it's not obvious if you
0: are enslaved to your own cultural milieu. Just think about baseball. You can yell at the umpire as much as you want, but you may not touch him. And his rule stands. This is how authority functions. You might disagree, you can disagree a lot with the authority, but the authority stands. And without an umpire, remove the umpires from baseball And it's going to be chaos anyway, and no one's going to have any fun. Baseball can't function without authority.
1: This is ultimately the folly of idealism, and this is where abuse comes in. This is where tyranny comes in, because they create a world in which everything is equal, everything is fair, and no one stands out, and no one has authority, and men and women are the same, and everything is wonderful. That's the world they create in their mind, and then they live in the real world, where in order to function as an organization, you need authority. Where in order to execute a plan, you need directives. You can say what you want about new models of leadership in corporations at the end of the day, even if you don't give them a title, someone functions as the mater or the pater, because that is how our species functions.
0: I don't know what else to say. If you have somebody who is working on a team and they seem too cozy with the manager, then you start to have chaos break out because people wonder what's the line of authority. Is that person equal to me or not equal to me? This can undermine the viability of a team. And this is exactly what's happening here. Now we have a child marrying his mother or his stepmother or whatever the situation is here. What Paul is doing here is counter-idealism. He is agreeing with the
1: idealist that the abuse of male authority in the Roman Empire is a grave sin just like Paul teaches us in his recitation of the Torah that the abuse of kingly authority or tribal patriarchy or tribal matriarchy is a grave sin. But he is also doing something that the idealist is incapable of. He's looking at reality and saying, look, this is the way human systems function. So how can I fight the abuse of human systems without being in la-la land Because when you try to fight from the vantage point of La La Land, you create more abuse. Trump's demagoguery is a direct response to the self-righteous attitude of neoliberals. They are the same thing. They are the same function. They're two opposing ideological poles. What Paul is saying is since this is how human systems work, let's transfer the authority from the ego of the individual to the ego of the text. So that we are guided by a set of divine principles and not by the
0: whim of some egotistical roman parent the roman pater is about the ego whereas in paul's community the pater is about the community but the authority remains you cannot blow
1: kisses from the ambon you cannot do it it does not work You have to speak with authority. It is the decree of the king. I keep insisting on this because this is why our churches, of all denominations, are lukewarm in the United States. Whether they are conservative or liberal, they are lukewarm. And as we hear in the Johannine writings, in the end, the Lord will spit them out. He's not interested in mediocrity or just getting along. He wants us to have some flavor, but the flavor doesn't come from us. We are not the salt of the earth because of our ideology. We become salty when we carry the salt from the Lord's basket to the nations. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit. Again, this is the point. Even Paul is not the one judging you, even though he's judging as the potter. Because how can he be present in spirit? What does that mean? Now, if you don't deal with the word spirit as a technicality in the text, You can easily dismiss this verse by saying, oh, Paul was present the way Yoda is present at the Jedi Council when he's absent. No, Paul is not present as an individual in the church in Roman Corinth. His letter is in the church in Roman Corinth. He left his word. It's the authority, it's the teaching that is present. That's how he's present in spirit. So he's absent, but because you have his teaching, he has already judged the one who has committed this what does he mean he's already judged him? It's not that he knew that this case was going to happen and, and he foresaw by some magical principle the future. No, he knew that human nature is to transgress the body politic of the gospel, the body politic of this community. And so he said someone's going to commit immorality, and when they do, this is how they should be judged. Well, he's already
0: taught in four chapters about the importance of unity and of understanding authority, and here's someone who is dividing by their lack of appreciation for authority. So he's judged as though
1: he were present, meaning I don't have to be there for my teaching to apply. And I know you're not applying my teaching because this is happening. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, meaning you open the book and read the letter, which we do in our churches to this day. You never hear the gospel story until you've heard the letter of Paul. With the power of our Lord Jesus, the letter is read in church. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Meaning that when the epistle is read and Paul takes out the whip and he cracks it, you have no right to stand in between the reading and the conscience of the one being whipped because you're afraid it might hurt their feelings or they might be put out of the community by their conscience or whatever. He's accusing them of filtering his judgment in his absence.
0: Satan here, for the destruction of the flesh, it's interesting the way this is tied, because a lot of people could say, you know, deliver one to Satan, and one's thinking about, like, sending them to hell or something like this. But this reminds me of Job, where God delivers Job to Satan, to the destruction of his flesh, where he literally gets boils in his flesh. Why is this? To see if Job is really as faithful as everybody thinks he is. So let him be tested to see if he really believes. Remove him from the community. See how badly he wants to be part of the community. I think he's dividing the community. If he's going to leave the community and grumble and talk about how the community hates him and how if they were only nicer they would let him in, let him stay out. But if he goes out and he says, you know what, I really think division of the community is a bad thing. I'll do whatever it takes to be united again to the community, okay, then maybe we can believe him. But send him out and like God allows with Job, let's see how good he actually is. Let's test him and see. The best
1: example of how this functions in life, setting aside all of the religious metaphor, is that you have someone who is a drug addict or an alcoholic or is somehow enslaved by some compulsion or addiction or abusive behavior. And you try to talk to this person and you can't reason with them. At some point, you have no option as a sibling or a parent but to hand them over to Satan. Meaning if they're
0: not going to listen to reason, let them reason with life. If someone says they're not an alcoholic, buy them a drink. Just push them over the edge. Either they'll enjoy the drink, or they'll come faster to the realization that they're alcoholic. This is what it means to hand someone over
1: to Satan, because ultimately when they hit rock bottom, the destruction of their flesh, then there's a chance they can turn things around. But if you coddle them and just wean them along, which is the way churches function. The funny thing is, they don't take someone out of a church because they are disabling the gospel. Or threatening the gospel because unity without the gospel is just vanity they throw someone out of the church who makes the church an uncomfortable place to be that is where we are when in fact the church should be an uncomfortable place to be and the one who fights that discomfort is the one who should be cast out until they're ready to deal with reality you see how things are twisted your boasting is not good what are you boasting in we know later on in 1 Corinthians, you're boasting that it's okay for you to eat meat offered to idols. You're claiming that since it's just meat, you can go attend a service to Venus so that you can socialize with wealthy Romans. And then you want to come back and partake of the bread and wine at the table fellowship where you hear Paul's letter and say that it's fine. Paul is saying it's obviously not fine because you've become arrogant. You have Acquired the attitude of the Roman pater And so now I am the scriptural pater And I'm going to cut you
0: down to size Oh, we don't judge One thing that's great about us is we don't judge. One great thing is that we don't look a We let everyone do what they want to do. We know the gospel gives us freedom to do what we want. So we're willing to extend that to anybody. Let anyone do what they want. That's what's great about our community is we treat everybody nicely. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So Paul is concerned that a little bit of corruption in the community is going to infect the entire community. The leaven here is the... Bacteria that you put a little pinch of in a loaf of bread that makes the entire loaf grow. And the correct leaven is the agitation of the gospel. Right, and during this time, understand that whenever you put leaven in, this is bacteria. If you put in bad bacteria, it can make the entire loaf sour and inedible. You put in good leaven, and it will become good bread. You put in bad leaven, it kind of grows, but not well. Put in good leaven, and it grows into a solid loaf. So when Paul says, clean out the old leaven so that
1: you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened, he's saying there's still something wrong with the leaven. You're still listening to other teachings. You're still not allowing the leaven of the gospel to operate on its own for your sake and because of that one sour apple ruins the whole basket is essentially what he's saying for christ our passover also has been sacrificed therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness which again is the leaven of the simple he's contrasting the eucharistic meal with the pagan rituals in roman corinth he's saying that even though we know there is no such thing as venus You are giving Venus and Zeus and Apollo a reality because you are communing with the teaching of the Romans and you're polluting the church with that teaching. That is what he is saying here. That's the leaven of malice and wickedness because it's abusive. Instead, you must celebrate the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, which is an obvious reference to Exodus. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with the moral people, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. So this
0: is a very strong critique because we can say in our communities, well, the Bible doesn't want us to associate with darkness. So therefore, all those dark people out there, the pornographers and the drunkards and the drug dealers, we're supposed to stay clear of them. And Paul is saying, no, 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 when I say don't associate with immoral people, I don't mean the immoral people out there. Talking about you. Talking about the immoral people sitting next to you in the pew. This is
1: the heart of the matter. What's difficult for Christians to accept is what the nations say about you is true. I've had people say, Father Mark... What you're saying is what people outside the church say. And I said, of course they say it. Because if you want to know the truth about yourself, listen to what your enemies say about you. Obviously, that's the brilliance of the gospel. Wisdom is to make every effort to hear what your enemies are saying about you and how they judge you. And if you listen with open ears, you'll end up holding hands with your enemies.
0: The average person is going to condemn the immoral person outside the group and justify the immoral person inside the group. Paul is turning that on its head. Associate with the immoral people out there, but deal with the immoral people in here. For what have
1: I to do with judging outsiders? I don't want to hear at the OCF meetings in North America, teachers training students to talk about how bad the Protestants are because they want to keep the Orthodox going, or how wrong the Catholics are because they want to build up their own communities or how wrong people from this group are or people who act this way are. All of that is evil talk. It's vain, abusive, cruel talk. It's anti-scriptural. I want to hear at OCF people talking about how terrible we at OCF are, how terrible we in our own churches are. Otherwise, we're just like everybody else. And just like self-righteous neoliberalism produces self-righteous conservative demagoguery, your self-righteous, self-content, self-approving form of religion is going to justify and increase unbelief and ungodliness. Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. The judgment is top-down. You can't judge outward. You can't judge upward, you can't judge laterally. God judges. Everybody
0: because everyone is under him.
1: And the top-down judgment comes from him on his orders. And if they ask you, who told you to say this, you shall tell them that I am told you to say this. That is the point that Paul is making here. Since God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves, On
0: God's authority. And on Paul's authority. Who represents
1: God. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father.
0: You've just heard the Bible as literature.
1: Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.